Hello and welcome to Raise a Glass, the podcast where we talk about the stories and storytellers that shape us. My name is Eric Lintola. And I am Hunter Danson. And today we have a very special episode to bring you. Uh, not only is it the end of our first season of of Raise a Glass, uh, a season that has discussed everything from sci-fi to The Godfather and Taylor Swift to Fool's Crow. Man, we've talked about a lot of different things. Yeah. She we talked Hulk. about, yeah, <laughs> Lincoln Park and Need to Breathe. Right, yeah. Hmm. We've been all around. Yeah. Uh, it's exciting. Some of our favorite B movies. Mm-hmm. Um, Tolkien. Uh, we talked for like two hours about Tolkien. Yeah. Um, well, Godfather was, I think, actually our longest one. I guess that makes it. I mean, that one actually might be the longest. It might take longer to watch those movies than to read uh, <laughs> the trilogy. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and of course, who could forget Macbeth? That was a joy, too. Um, so not only is it the end of our first season, but it is also the very first opportunity we have to speak with a storyteller. Um, we've spoken about storytellers that shape us. Um, and today I get to bring to you um, one of my favorite storytellers, um, storyteller I have a personal connection with and have gotten to know over the last 10 years. Um, a voice that actually might be pretty familiar to, to most of you if you've listened mm-hmm. before. Um, we're going to be discussing Dawn Must Follow Night, um, the the book without any participles. Uh, the, right? That's the right word for the. And sure. That, yeah. yeah, I think so. I just that was a, that was a joke there. I was trying to. <laughs> uh, what for? What it's worth. Uh, we're going to be discussing Dawn Must Follow Follow Night, um, and we're going to do an interview with the author. As per our our normal approach, before we dive too deeply into that, Hunter, I got to know what's in your glass. I have some peppermint tea, which might not make sense, but um, I actually have uh, one of my earliest experiences uh, writing that uh, I think was kind of formative for me, was (laughs) uh, more or less. It was in seventh grade. When um, Mrs. Callender had a challenge for the class, a writing challenge, she had a, she gave us a prompt, and she gave us a certain amount of time to um, write a kind of short story on the prompt. It was like imagining a future classroom, okay. uh, and so I imagined the future classroom. Um, and people were using like PDAs. I called them PDAs back Ooh. then. Uh, but you know, now they got Chromebooks Public and everything. Displays so, of affection. Yeah, or um, personal data. I, I don't know what it stands for. But, <laughs> okay, so, um, so okay. Whew, different yeah. type of classroom. Yeah. Um, but uh, she, the reward was a peppermint um, for whoever wrote the best story and the class voted on the story they you closed your eyes and she read all of the stories uh, and then the class voted so it was like anonymous and i won um wow 
Yeah. How many so, students were in this class? Was she reading like 20 stories or? Uh, I don't know. I, f- I feel like there was around 10. Okay. So it feels more manageable. Yeah. Just imagining and, writing like 25 stories out loud. Yeah. But they were like, you know, we wrote them in like five minutes. So, <laughs> okay. You're right. They're a little, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Mrs. Um, Callender. I, I can't believe that's real last name. Uh, yeah. I just wanted to make month jokes and day jokes mm-hmm. uh, with the last name like Calendar. Yeah, um, that's great. Uh, my, I I bring to you the humble ice water. Uh, okay. Um, I've realized there's a real challenge with this uh, weekly prompt. Um, I feel like <laughs> I always need to bring something that's lively and, um. In reality, I walk around with an ice with with a an Nalgene bottle everywhere I go, um, mm-hmm. like everywhere. The only place I don't bring it into is like if we're invited over for dinner, like uh-huh. and it's somebody that wants to serve water or whatever. I'll bring it in our car and leave it in the car and go in. Um, my wife brings it in um, her own in, but like to the extent where. When my son's playing, he'll go for my phone, uh, which means, of course, I'm spending too much time on the phone, or my water bottle. Um, right. Those are the two things he goes for. So, yeah. Uh, and we have a new fridge that has an ice dispenser, and it's very exciting. <laughs> uh, so this did not come at the cost of filling up ice cube trays. It came at the cost of hitting a button. Uh, Hunter, is there anything <laughs> you're raising uh, that you're um, raising a glass or pouring one out for this week? Um, I'm raising a glass to uh, Horizon Forbidden West, which is a sequel to a video game on PlayStation. Um, you can't get it on PC now, but it's launched as just a PlayStation game. Um, I played the first one, Horizon Zero Dawn, and I absolutely loved it. I uh, beat the game on Ultra Hard, New Game Plus, got the Platinum Trophy, did Whoa. pretty much everything. Um, it's it it's not a it's not a revolutionary game, but it combines the best elements of a lot of different RPGs um, and puts them in this really interesting world in this really fun and unique combat system. There's like you mostly fight these big machines uh, and some of them kind of look like robot dinosaurs. Um, okay. And, but they're like really futuristic and cool looking and there's all different components that you can shoot off and stuff in the combat. And I just got the sequel uh, and I've started playing it and I'm absolutely loving it. And uh, it is honestly like in my, in my top five uh, all time video games. So Okay. Horizon Zero yep. Dawn, uh, Horizon Forbidden West. Uh, the the closest okay. I've ever come to anything like that, Hunter, is Horizon Fun Effects, which was a roller skating and uh, laser tag place as a kid. Oh, okay. Uh, which I, I don't really think has any way of, of, of coming anywhere close to that. That sounds awesome. Well, you played Breath of the Wild, right? Zelda? With you? 
No. Uh, yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. It that was fun. Yeah. It's that kind of experience. Okay. But, uh, okay. Thank you for putting it in terms I can understand. Appreciate <laughs> that. That's cool. Uh, Are you pouring one out for anything? I'm I'm pouring one out for uh, batteries. <laughs> uh, when you have <clears throat> when you have a child who loves Hess trucks, uh, mm. people get him Hess trucks for Christmas for his birthday. Um, his <laughs> grandpa had a big collection of Hess trucks that he passed on. Uh, and he just he absolutely loves them. Um, but Hess trucks take C batteries. Oh, C. And they those die. Big circular ones? Yeah, they're the huge ones. Who knows? I didn't think this They're existed. not circular. They're like a, they're just like a giant double A, really fat double okay. A. Um, so, sorry, sorry. They're cylindrical. Yes. My bad. Not circular. Yeah, yeah cylindrical. Um, and they die really fast in the Hess trucks. And they each each truck takes two of them. Um, so we put new batteries in his new Hess truck. Um, we we had a little family Christmas before uh, going to visit our other families for Christmas, and we put in in his new Hess truck, and it died in like two days. Um, oh my goodness! Yeah, and so you know it's two batteries per truck, and like. I'm not going to go out and, and just be buying C batteries all the time. Uh, and just batteries in general, like in where, where I live, I haven't found a convenient way to recycle them. Like you have to ship them mm. somewhere and pay and it's not cheap. So it's like, yeah. I, I have all these batteries that I haven't recycled yet. And it's, it's just, I don't like dealing with batteries. It's just, uh, just got to pour one out. Yeah. Wow. It's a lot going on there. Yeah, sorry. How about how about you? Um, yeah, I'm going to raise a glass to, and this might be a little bit controversial for some people out there, um, to coworkers and um, holiday parties. Um, uh, I know that's not something that many people look forward to, um, but both uh, Melanie's and my coworkers are just awesome people. Um, that we love spending time around. And we had a group of them over um, on Sunday, yeah, earlier this week, and shared a meal and desserts. And it was just a lot of fun. Um, we're both people that thrive around other people. Um, and so is our son. <laughs> um, and so it was just a lot of just excitement. And happiness in this space, and it's, it's a nice thing. It's not ultimately right, the reason for the season. Uh, we talked about that when we talked about "Behold the Lamb of God," but it's. I think they get a worse rap than maybe they should. Um, and there's, I think, there's a real way that uh, you can add honesty and relationship to them. Um, they don't need to be focused on what you're drinking or eating 
Um, so yeah, I'm gonna raise glass to that, and uh, did something somewhat similar with um, my coworkers today. I had a little party for a birthday and just mm-hmm. hanging out together, and saw another co- went to another coworker's house last week and just had a, a good time. So that's what I'm raising glass to. And I'm gonna pour one out for icy steps and all of the uh, pieces that go along with that as as winters come uh, I just don't like slippery steps and so I got more ice melt whatever for our driveway and I was pouring the bag of ice melt into the bucket that had had the previous salt or whatever and it was so salty and or whatever that mm. just the act of pouring it, pouring the salt into the empty bucket filled my mouth with the taste of salt. <laughs> like I needed to like, I felt like I needed to like rinse my mouth, mm. mouth out. My, now my mouth is feeling salty saying that. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, I just, the dangers that come with that um, slipping, I almost uh, took a dive today. Mm. on some ice um it's just not i could do without that yeah (laughs) very much so yeah we don't have any well we had snow and then it all melted and it hasn't been cold enough to have ice down here in connecticut that's nice i hope it doesn't get that cold well i want Um, i hope it gets snowy but not icy (laughs) yeah sorry let me clarify that i love snow yeah, um, and I know you love it even more as an avid skier. So, well, Hunter, let us dive into our discussion today. Um, I know I shared some questions with you beforehand, um, but uh, I would love to take some time to to um, talk about this book, about you as an author, um, about things that you're working on. Um, in the same series, um, is that? Are you up for that? Yeah, yeah. It's a, a vanity episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's my first interview, so that's that's something um, milestone. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love talking about writing, as you know. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of our conversations. Uh, once you get me started talking about writing, it's <laughs> it's one of the few things that I just can't stop talking about. Uh, so, yeah, I'm excited. I'm going to let you ask the questions, and because because I don't want to lead my own vanity episode, that'd be a little <laughs> too much to stomach. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I'm so excited for this. I've been excited for this since before we started this podcast. But this is one of the big pieces of starting the podcast is for me, I really wanted to celebrate you as a storyteller. Um, and I just going to say it straight out. Like, I think everybody should read this book. Um, I, one of the things I tell people, tell my friends and family, and I've bought this book for many family members. I've gotten friends to read it. It's what, twelve ninety nine or something like that. It's not that expensive. Yeah, paperback um, is twelve ninety nine, and ebook is like three dollars. 
Yeah. Uh, everybody look up Dawn Must Follow Night on Amazon. Uh, where else is it that you sold? Uh, Barnes & Noble and um, Kobo. And you can actually read it for free on um, tapas.io. I would encourage you, if you decide to do that, to then support Hunter through his Patreon. Um, there's a lot of work that goes into writing um, that we as readers often don't think about. Um, and to be able to support uh, storytellers and kind of um, enable more storytellers to tell their stories is, is really important. Um, and um, I know, Hunter, you're not in it for the money, um, but <laughs> no. it, it does it does allow the capacity to write more stories. Um so I want to say that up front. Um, and uh, before we get into it, um, so Hunter, I'm going to start with a little bit of kind of my summary of, of Don Must Fall a Night. Okay. Um, this is, uh, unlike many of our episodes, this is going to be a primarily spoiler-free episode. There will be a couple pieces that I'm going to ask that might spoil some things that, that come up. Um, but even with that, I would say this is fully something that you should read. Um, buy it for a friend, buy it for a family member. Um, like I said, I've done it. You should do it too. I think uh, you might be the largest percentage of my profits <laughs> from this book. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah, of course, of course. I, I, I enjoy it. So I'm now um, working through my second read, uh, second full read. Um, but I think I've read parts of it three or four times, if not more. Um, yeah. I'm also doing a, an audio book too, um, releasing chapters on YouTube. Um, my Patreon benefit is you get like, uh, an RSS feed of just the audio. Um, mm. but, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, my primary focus right now is on working on book two, but, um, I'm doing that as well to try and get it out there. Yeah. Yeah. And I've listened to, to a few of those as well and I really enjoy them. So, uh, like we, like, like, uh, like I always say, you have a great podcast face. Uh, I mean voice. Um, <laughs> sorry. Podcast sorry. I just, face. yeah, yeah. It's always thinking about that myself, about, about myself. So, yeah. um, but Don Must Follow Night by Hunter Danson is a story about the black and the blades. It begins with a character named Kavar fleeing the owner of a bread stand, uh, just trying to survive as a kid in the city. And um, the next thing you know, he ends up in a castle um, with the blades um, and he is being trained along with a lot of other kids. Um, most, uh, all of them preteens, if not younger, um, mm -hmm. to prepare for the next cataclysm and the coming of the black um, and the beasts that, that come out of the black. These cataclysms happen once about every hundred years, and the blades um, 
are are the group, the neutral group of people that are there to protect the world from the black. And so as the story progresses, we meet other characters like the High Justice. Yeah. That's Lothan. Lothan. Yeah. Lothan. And um, I'm, I'm going to get her, get her name wrong. Alara. Yep. Um, and an ever growing group of characters who represent different uh, kingdoms or fiefdoms um, or other parties um, who are trying to vie for power in this world. Um, and as all of this is going down, going on, uh, a cataclysm happens. Yeah. And I don't want to give away too much more than that. Um, but I will say that one of the most unique pieces or two of the most unique pieces of this, of this book, um, one is the, the day system. Um, what happens with night and, and with light and dark, that's hence the dawn must follow night. And we'll talk about that in, in this conversation with Hunter. Um, the other piece is the black. Um, the black is not darkness, like the black of night. Um, it is, and it's not even just a substance. It seems to be more than that. Um, it defies any logic put on it by outside um, people. It has its own logic mm. and its own sense. And part of the way of defeating these beasts who come once every 100 years or so is to make some of the Blades of Dawn, um, some of these kids, um, enter into or... You know, maybe the other word have the black enter into them, uh, which Join gives them with the black. Yes, um, which we'll also talk about, and we'll talk about maybe some of the powers that come from that. Um, it is a really interesting book. Uh, it the chapter. Well, well, well let's get into it, uh, Hunter. What did I miss in the summary? Um, not too much, really. Um, as a, as a general summary um i could talk about the the day night cycle um yes tell me yeah so hunter that's actually one of my first questions for you is as we're saying that the day night cycle is different um it's it's not like ours it it takes take took me a, a a few chapters into this book to kind of figure out what was happening can you can you tell us about (laughs) how that works in this world. Yeah. So, um, I imagined the, <clears throat> it's a, it's a fantasy novel, but I imagined the world as a planet. Um, and I thought it would be cool, uh, if it had a different day night cycle. Um, mm-hmm. and so this planet's, um, this planet rotates twice per year. So each time it completes an orbit, around the sun 
uh, it has rotated twice, which means um, there are six months of day and six months of night, um, kind of like in Antarctica or, or in the Arctic um, near the North Pole. Um, and that means that the inhabitants of this fantasy planet, um, they don't track days by days. So um, one of the, actually one of the hardest things for me writing was not using the word day as Mm. to refer to like, I can't say like yesterday because yesterday for them would be uh, a whole whole year ago. Um, Yeah. So that's where I found the term uh, full day. Uh, and I tried mm-hmm. to use that to kind of differentiate it as a full day is a year, you know, so mm-hmm. um, someone who's 15 years old is actually 15 full days old. Um, and they track a 24 hour period um, with their moon and because their moon um, orbits on a, on a 24 hour cycle. Um, ours actually is close to a 24 hour cycle, I believe. Um as well so that the moon is yeah. similar um and so they track days they they don't call them days they call them moons um it's 24 hour periods so like three moons ago uh you know last time the moon rose um so that was that was a challenge for me is uh coming up with that uh terminology and be consistent with it and um, editing it out <laughs> when I made yeah. mistakes. <laughs> um, so when it's night, how dark is it? Very dark. Um, so if, if you've, if you've ever been, you know, outside at nighttime, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you'll notice that as the moon goes through its, um, phases, uh, the, the bright, it, it can be very bright outside when there's a full moon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I, I love the moon. Um, I, sometimes I just go outside and stare at it um, before I go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe that's a little weird. I'm, I'm not a werewolf, I promise. But um, <laughs> Or a chihuahua, you know, if it's just yeah. a crescent room. Like... Yeah. I mean, the moon's so cool. Like if you just, just go outside and look at it next time there's a full moon, it's just, it's so cool. Um, just to be standing there and looking out into, into this object in space, um, so close to us. But, uh, when the moon is, um, the moon sets also. So like when it's night, it's that six months of night, even if there's a full moon that comes around and it's, you know, fairly bright, people can see, um, when that moon sets, it is a deep night. So I imagine that Mm -hmm. as kind of like, um, when the moon is, uh, when you can barely see it, um, on earth, it's, it's quite dark. That's one of the things I enjoyed as reading it, as I've read through this a couple of times is you pay attention to the details, right? You focus on the scientific aspects of the world. There's a lot of points where you describe, weapons using the the terminological names mm. um the correct terminology um like it's very clear as i read as i read through that you 
aren't trying to just throw something out there um, that each word feels like it's been chosen. Um, and that's a different type of writing than some fantasy sci-fi um, that's that's going on nowadays. And so I'm actually interested, uh, who is it that influenced you? Um, right? Are there any storytellers or stories that you kind of saw coming up throughout throughout this? Um, I had a lot actually. Um, I mean, I think, I think any writer has, you know, Mm -hmm. when they, when you sit down to write, you are influenced by everything that you've read. Um, but you know, for this one, obviously Tolkien, I think I've, I might've said this before. There is no room for anyone else on my fantasy list. Uh, because I love Tolkien so much. Um, but, but, and I think because of that, my thought was that Tolkien did it about as good as you could do it. Um, Mm. telling that kind of, uh, mythical story, um, of good versus evil, uh, and the struggle between good and evil and and um, ch- how it can be hard to choose good sometimes and, yeah. and Frodo's Frodo's struggle and Smeagol and um, and all of that it's just a, a wonderful story um, and so when I first started writing this story, uh, it was very different. It was um, different from what it is now. Uh, mm-hmm. It was uh, pretty derivative. Um, it was uh, mm-hmm. honestly the bad guy was kind of like Robert Jordan's um, bad guy. What's his name? The uh, Balzaman. Yes, Balzaman. Yeah, Balzaman. Yeah, um, so, kind of like I mean, that. That shows how far you've gotten into Wheel of Time, if that's who you think the ultimate evil one is. Oh, okay. Well, mm. in the first three mm. books, it's... <laughs> um, but, you know, it was... it was uh, He was a very vocal bad guy, um, you know, and, and the, you know, there were elements that I kept, like the black was, was originally in there, and the blades of dawn that was an original thing like the first scene i ever wrote was um just kavar sparring uh with another student at mm-hmm. the castle and I, I i had no idea really what it was i just had this you know i just was an image um mm-hmm. and but I end, I ended up writing like thirty thousand words, uh, and then I threw them out and started over because, wow. you know, I read it. I read it back, and I was like, you know, this is this has been done, um, mm. and I don't think I can do it better. And I want to try something different. So, a lot of what this story became is me trying to avoid tropes, um, ah, and yeah. yeah, and the. Uh, you know, just like imagining a, a fantasy world as an actual planet uh, and trying to figure out like the orbital mechanics of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't say exactly where that came from. 
but you know, I, I read a fair amount of science fiction, um, and I have an interest, a big interest in theoretical physics, and I love uh, <clears throat> um, kind of th thinking about those. And I have to give a shout out to my friend TJ, who is a physics major. Uh, and mm. I have talked to him a lot about this book and the scientific <laughs> um, parts of it, especially the the orbital mechanics and and all of that, and the way the moon uh, orbits and that how that works. Um, he he helped me a lot, uh, but I'll tr I'm trying to I'll try and get more specific. I guess um, there were actually. Actually, Horizon Zero Dawn um, was a game that I was playing while I was <laughs> writing a lot of this. Okay. And um, Horizon Zero Dawn is set in the far, far future when okay. humanity as we know it has gone extinct. And now there is this kind of new humanity that lives in kind of these tribal societies. Um, and the world is ruled by these machines. Um and I know it was related, but I'm trying, struggling to find a concrete. Are they? Is there a similarity between them and the beasts? Um, or I mean, the beasts aren't machines. Of course, yeah. I I just thought of the connection to Horizon Zero okay. Dawn because they talk about the old ones, right? Uh, yes. They have the ruins of you know a basically like very high tech kind of cyberpunk. Uh, human feature mm -hmm. all the ruins from that age you know skyscrapers mm, and stuff they mm -hmm. you know they're still there and and these humanity doesn't have a a historical knowledge so they just call them the old ones and um uh i have old ones uh, i think yeah i think i actually yeah. call them old ones I, yes you do it's not that's already yeah uh they're not they're not humans. Uh, okay. I know that much. Um, one of the things I discovered mm. about writing, um, is writing my, this is the first book that I've ever finished. I've tried to write other ones, but mm -hmm. it's the first one I finished. And uh, I think this is, I'm borrowing from this analogy from Stephen King that it's, it's like uh, archaeology you kind of uncover a story as you okay. go. Um, and, you know, I threw out 30,000 words, but yeah. I wouldn't have been able to write the book that it is now if I hadn't mm. written those 30,000 words and discovered mm -hmm. different things about the story and the world and the characters. Um, kind of the the lore is that Old, the old ones created humanity. Um, mm -hmm. They don't, humanity doesn't really know um, because, you know, they have these really pretty serious cataclysms, uh, you know, every few hundred years. It's not an exact time period. Um, it's kind of random. Um, so it could be like, you know, 70 years between a cataclysm or it could be like 120 years between a cataclysm. So it, you know, it's not... Um, it's not exact, but that means that like, you know, they, they probably, their technology is set back a bit. Um, 
and they yeah, lose a lot of cultural knowledge depending on the severity of the cataclysm and how the blades handle it. Um, and, you know, cause the beasts are like, they're just so, um, scary. They're not like, I mean, I, I tried to make them scary. Um, oh, they're terrifying. And cool. Yeah. And like, uh, but you know, they're just like beyond any capability of humanity by themselves to defeat. And that's why they mm -hmm. have to join with the black. Um, and so the, the, going back to the old ones, the lore is that the old ones created humanity as kind of like a, a slave race. Um, and it's not clear whether humanity had, uh, I guess, a conscience or like sentience hmm. at first, but eventually developed it. And then um, the myth in this world that everyone kind of, the cultural knowledge of the, the myth of them is that they, um, humanity, once they became self-aware, they killed the old ones. They rose up and they slaughtered the old ones. And so the mm. old ones aren't there, but there are ruins of the old ones around. Um, and I think another aspect of Horizon Zero Dawn that probably influenced my story is um, I, tr I tried to be rather vague about the races of the people, uh, the color of their yeah. skin. Um, and not to, not to like try and avoid the issue, but you know, if, if humanity is a created, uh, race in this world, then like, um, you know, people can be of all different, uh, ethnicities and, um, It's not, I don't know, they, they might think about race differently than we do. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, I, I know there are, there are, there are flaws in the story and, um, I, I do my best. Uh, and, and I think what I've mm -hmm. got is, is, is pretty decent, um, for, for his first book. Uh, that's how I view it. I think I'm a lot better writer now, um, but uh, and hopefully book two will reflect that. But I'm, you know, when I go back and read it, I'm doing the audio book. Uh, you know, sometimes I get scared when I go back to read it, and I'm like, oh, it's, I'm just gonna hate this. It's gonna be awful. <laughs> and then I read it, I'm like, you know what? This is it's, it's all right. You know, it's good. It's a good. Mm -hmm. It's a good. Start, I agree. So, so yeah, <laughs> I, I definitely I, I do tell friends and family like, hey, this is a first book, and like, and I recommend it. Uh, I feel like many other people's first books you wouldn't recommend. Be like, yeah, give it some time. Um, I, I I know there are many other influencers and uh, influences for this book, and maybe they'll come up in the conversation. Um, but one I kind of wanted to touch on before we dive into the next question comes at the end of chapter five, page thirty. Um, it's when Kavar is. Uh, chastised uh, for trying to break into the library and Muriel, Murray, yeah, the librarian says, Hey, I'll, I'll deal with him instead of Merith, um, who's the prelate, the leader oh, yeah. of the blades. And the, the, the chapter, chapter five ends with the statement as you wish. Uh, so <laughs> to me, there's clearly a princess bride uh, influence in, <laughs> sure. in this writing. <laughs> Very clearly. It's undeniable. Um, 
I guess. <laughs> There's some R.O.U.S.s uh, in one of the forests yeah, with the well, green men. Actually, uh, some of the more subtle references, um, they're kind of coming back to me now, but Muriel, his name actually, his, his name is uh, Percy Muriel. Uh, and around the time when I was writing this, I had recently read Les Mis, uh, mm. Les Miserables by Victor Hugo. Um, and so Muriel is a reference to to a character in um, in Les Mis. It's kind of like a I take a little bit from one name and another bit from another name. I don't actually remember the specifics, but it's from Les Mis. I believe it's um, Marius's grandfather. Uh, is part of the name. Another one, one of my favorite lines um, is, oh no, wait, that's in book two. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Hunter, two of the major pieces of this book that we need to talk about in order to kind of give people a taste of this um, are the blades in the black. Um, so can you talk first? I think talking about the black makes sense to start with that. Um, yeah. And then talk about the Blades of Dawn. Um, what is the Black? Um, or as 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 um, Drax from from Guards of the Galaxy might say, is why is the Black? <laughs> um, um, we got to know. The Black is an appetite. It is mm. the arrow of time. It is um, the force that um, stokes our worst nature. It is kind of my, I guess, visualization of uh, the, the darkness in, in humanity. That's, that's where it comes from. Mm-hmm. In, this, in this story, in this world, the black is, is I guess you could, you could say it's an entity. If you wanted to really try and define mm-hmm. it, it is an entity um, that appears to have sentience, um, but mainly it wants death. Uh, it, it feeds on death. And so mm-hmm. the idea is that the black was kind of awakened to this world mm. Um by the slaughtering of the old ones, by all that death. Hmm. It became aware of this this world, and then it pinched the fabric of this world together with the world of the beasts um, to kind of create the cataclysm that happens. And so the idea is, you know, if you know any um, theoretical physics, um, there's a lot of weird stuff with, like, string theory and... and um, you know, a multiverse and all that kind of stuff. It's not a Marvel multiverse, but it's a, there's the idea of the Marvel multiverse, uh, you know, doesn't come from nowhere. Um, and, but the idea is that the black is kind of this force that is, is, uh, you know, powerful enough to, um, you know, pinch the fabrics of two worlds together and create this kind of thin place. And that's how the convergences happen. And, the beasts come through um, and, you know, but it's also the black is more than that. It's kind of, it's, it's, it's tricky and deceptive. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, part of the, 
I mean, it, it's part of the plot um, in the way that it is deceptive. Yeah. And, well, and I want to clarify for, for, for listeners, it is much more evil than Venom. Right. Uh, right. Because that's kind of an idea of what it could be like, right? Is is this substance sure. like, it, you know, yeah, kind it's, of like it's Spider-Man this, 3? It's, it's not like that. It's not um, corporeal. It's uh, Even though once somebody has joined with the black, um, it yeah. impacts. And they, 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 do they hear a voice? Is that correct? Or is it not just really like a voice. nudges? Yeah, kind of nudges. The black kind of laughs. Um, part of, you know, Blades, the black grants them these powers um, and their eyes turn black, completely black. Um, and they are, they age slower. They're stronger. Mm-hmm. They heal faster. It, it enables them to fight the beasts. Um, but at the same time, because the black desires, has an appetite for death, for death, um, the black kind of stokes the, you know, the worst impulses of the blades, the, mm-hmm. their violence. And, and part of the struggle of being a blade is trying to rein in those impulses and utilize the black in order to, you know, save, save humanity from the beasts and the convergences. And, uh, yeah, I think that's an important thing. And, and, and I don't want to tell about all three of all of the powers. Um, I know in the first kind of, we talked through three, but one of them is like fate, the ability to phase. Yes, this out. is probably my favorite one. Uh, that was like the first one I thought of, I think. Uh, it's it's based on like the idea of quantum entanglement where something can be in two places at one time. Uh, and so they, they use the black and I call it like stepping is how I kind of visualize it. They mm-hmm. step from one place to another. Uh, for them, it's one step. But in the like f- physical 3D world, it can be, you know, it's like, like 20 meters away, you know, mm-hmm. stepping from one place to another, um, where they kind of like <clears throat> phase out of one reality and they step back into reality in a different spot. Uh, and that's so, so most of the, the other, um, a lot of the things with the black, like the powers, you know, it's, it's totally fantasy, this idea of this kind of crazy entity oh, thing it, yeah. giving you powers but that like the the powers themselves are kind of i tried to base them on like actual physics and like not just you know i mean you know they're they're really cool uh that's also another reason and i think they're really cool and i like them a lot um but you know i tried to make like the mechanics of how they work and how they're conceptualized based on uh some form of physics. <laughs> yeah. Um, All right. That's good to know. So, so from there, we've, we've talked, started talking about the blades, blades of dawn. Like, can you give us like a minute long, like overview of who the blades of dawn are, why they exist, what they do? Um, so the blades of dawn are, uh, a group that has existed, you know, ever since humanity, ever since the first cataclysm. Um, and their purpose is to fight the beasts that come through the convergences. Um, and 
you know, basically make sure humanity doesn't get overrun <laughs> by the beasts um, when the convergences happen. And, you know, the way that they do this is they train um, kids, uh, you know, from as young as they can get them really sometimes like in this timeline uh and in this time period uh sometimes if there's like a noble who has a bastard child they'll send the bastard to um the blades of dawn uh and if if you're familiar with the witcher at all um it's kind of a similar thing in the witcher where they train the kids and um, train them to fight from when they're young and, and other, you know, Kavar is an orphan. Uh, Merith comes and finds him in the dungeon of Seagrim. Um, and a lot of the other kids there are, you know, they're essentially outcasts, uh, and the, and the unwanted is most of them who end up there and the blades feed them. They teach them to take care of them, but ultimately, you know, most of them are probably going to die, uh, in the, in the fight against the beasts. Yeah, it's not really like highly moral, uh, like moralistic. Like in our current society, we would not really look upon them as like, oh, way to go. But in right. this world, they're they are. Um, yeah, I mean, they're the reason that humanity is still alive. Uh, but humanity forgets, right? Yeah, yeah. So you know, be, because there's not a predictable time between the convergences. Um, like I believe Maris cataclysm, it 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 took like a hundred and twenty years. Hundred and thirty. Uh, yeah. Okay. Hundred and thirty. <laughs> Correcting the author. Sorry. Um, sorry. Yeah, but because <laughs> it, it it took a, such a long time that people kind of you know one they're scared of the blades of dawn. Uh, there's just kind of this group with like these creepy guys with black eyes. Uh, and like that steal their children. I mean, the blades don't actually steal children, but you know, people start talking about them and they gossip mm -hmm. about them and stuff. Uh, and you know, I think, um, yeah, one, one could make the critique that maybe it's not so believable that if they have these like almost world ending catastrophes every hundred years, like. People might not forget, but also it's middle ages time. There's a lot of knowledge yeah. that's lost. That doesn't surprise me that there would be that. I didn't see that as unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and I mean, a lot of us have already forgotten about the pandemic. So the what? Um, the pandemic. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was the joke. Right. right. Yes. Uh, you cool. know, COVID-19. Yeah. I'm married yeah. to a pharmacist. This is the pandemic is not <laughs> over, people. People are still yeah. getting COVID actually in higher numbers than previous times. Yeah. So, uh, but just wanna... so, yeah, I I feel like it's fairly accurate to human nature for people to forget and to mistrust the blades. Um, and it doesn't help that most of the blades are kind of like orphans or um, bastard children or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the the outcasts of society. Thanks. That that's helpful. Can you? This is just a, a little question I've had, and I don't want you know we just spend too much time on this. But why do they have to be kids? Um, because of the timing of the cataclysms, 
So like if you took a 30-year-old and you started training them and it took 70 years for the next cataclysm, they would be 100 by the time they were, you know, supposed to fight. So so they have to train them as as kids um you know to make sure that they are like kind of at the right fighting age um <clears throat> when the cataclysm comes so do they only start training kids once they think a cataclysm is coming not exactly um okay. i i think they start training them after the first cataclysm is over maybe that okay. they they wait a little bit um and then they start that's what Marith did he's the prelate of the blades of dawn uh, and he waited a little bit um and before getting kids to train um because Marith is Marith is like 70 um mm-hmm. he doesn't look he has the black so he ages slower but yeah okay yeah okay thank you for sharing that um a lot of cool characters in this 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 story. Um, the character that I enjoy the most is the character I enjoy the most, who has the most who has airtime, <laughs> is uh, the librarian Muriel. Oh yeah, um, I think he's a really cool character. I also really like Yarick. Um, My wife likes Yarick too. Can you tell me who your favorite character was to write? Um, what that you connected with? In the first draft, Kavar was basically a self-insert. Um, okay. And that was one of the things I, I just had to throw it out and do it over. And and Kavar still is, I think, the most like me when I was 13. Um, he's not exactly like me. I, you know, he's, he's, he's different. But I'd say in temperament, he's the closest but he's not my favorite to write. Kavar was actually very challenging to write because he was like me, and and mm. I had this idea of him as as being kind of like me, and it was hard to kind of separate that and make him more interesting um, as a main character. Because <laughs> like think you're very interesting. Oh, thank thank you, thank you. But <laughs> you know, Harry Potter is the least interesting character in Harry Potter. That's um, true. In oh, my opinion, Ron. Yeah. Yeah. But like Hermione is the most interesting. Let's, yeah, let's be honest. Who's the best was, character? Who, sh- who should have been <laughs> the, the primary character? So yeah, but uh, Yarick was a lot of fun to write because Yarick was, you know, he makes jokes, he laughs, he's just he's a, he's kind of, uh, you know, he's he's not great at fighting. Uh, he's he really struggles, and he he goes through a lot. Um, Yarek yeah, gets, he put a lot of conflict in his life, like very, yeah, very quickly. A lot of trauma, mm-hmm. um, and and that was just unfair. Sure, yeah. I mean, part of it, I mean, some of it is based on some experiences that I have, uh, but I made them more extreme for in the book for dramatic okay. purposes. Whew. But uh, well, things we have not <laughs> talked about. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, like uh, what happens to his leg? That was, you know, yeah, okay, that, that pretty much happened to me. But um, uh, I I actually one of my favorite characters to write is Lothan. 
Yes. Tell me about uh, Lothan. I wanted to ask you about Lothan. So Lothan is the high inquisitor or the high justice. Yeah. So he, he is a justice, uh, in this world, they have kind of a, kind of like an independent justice who goes around and does the executions. So he's a headsman. He has an ax and mm-hmm. he executes people. That's what he does for a living. He, he loves his ax. Yeah. And Lindrill, Lindrill kind of like elevates his position. Lindrill is, a um, the Lord of Dindra, which is one of the richest um, uh, fiefdoms, basically. It's kind of a feudal society. They call themselves a kingdom, so... Yeah. <clears throat> uh, yeah. Um, and and basically, Lindril basically hires Lothan to be like the high justice uh, mm-hmm. for this new... Lindril wants to unify the realm um, mm-hmm. and be king. And Lothan is a headsman who really likes his job. That that was my first <laughs> yes. idea of him. <laughs> he he is kind of a sociopath. Um I don't know if you've ever heard of Dexter. Um mm-hmm. but I think that was kind of an inspiration okay. for Lothan is is just this kind of <laughs> this guy who really likes chopping people's heads off and I think there's actually a line in there where Lothan says uh you know, if he hadn't become a headsman, he probably would have ended up on the block. Um, but it, it was just, it was just fun. And like, uh, I enjoy dark humor and Lothan gets a lot of, a lot of dark humor. All I could think of, or one of the things I was thinking of as I've read Lothan's character is in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, um, the, the, the race of politicians are like these giant slug people. <laughs> and they interact with a a low a lowling, one of these slugs, and um, short like really early on in the book, and his favorite part of his job is yelling, "Resistance is useless," <laughs> and he just he just loves that. That was like that's his job, and he loves yeah. doing that, and it gives him so much joy. And it doesn't matter who he's t- saying it to, mm-hmm. uh, and so yeah. Lothan really loves making people uncomfortable too, mm. especially the Dindrons. The Dindrons are probably the only like definitely coded. Um, they're they're basically white and Western. Um, is is you can infer that in the book, but Lothan Lothan just loves kind of messing with these like very uh, stodgy captains of Dindra and stuff. Um, <laughs> He's like the uh, the the one fish in Finding Nemo who loves his bubbles. That's, yeah. that's his feeling about his axe. Axe, 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 axe. Yeah, he loves bubbles, his bubbles, axe. Bubbles, it's a bubbles. nice axe. You know, mm-hmm. look at that bowl. One swing, all it takes. Stunning. Um, mm-hmm. Hunter, one of the things that's really interested in, in re- interesting in reading fantasy and sci-fi books is you see characters start in different places, go different places, and then you know come back together um, and then you got to do something with them. Um, you know, can you talk a little bit about kind of what that experience is? Is that as a reader, when I read that, I'm like, Oh, this is so interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I don't think about that often from a writer's perspective. I assume that's got to be pretty challenging. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. Um, I think one of the myths that I had to, to, uh, bust for myself uh, in writing is 
I think when a lot of people start writing, and then this was the case for me, I thought generally you just keep writing one word after another, and then at the end you have a book. Mm. Um, that is that is really not the case. Um, okay. Really, really not for me. Um, mm-hmm. Some people uh, love to plan, and they plan out a whole book, supposedly. I'm highly skeptical <laughs> of that claim. Um, and, you know, for a long time, they were called planners or pantsers. I prefer the term that George R. R. Martin used. He, he rephrased the terminology to gardeners and architects. Uh, George mm. is definitely a gardener. And mm. I think I would call myself, I lean to the gardening side very heavily mm. because I would try to plan out the plot. Uh, do plot points even I even try to do a couple chapters like that and then I would start writing the chapter and it'd be like they wouldn't actually say that <laughs> <laughs> my my character wouldn't actually do that they wouldn't think that uh, and and so for me it was a process of you know basically I I just had to set myself a word goal uh, that I would try to meet every day and just get you know 2,000 words a day. Uh, that was like my most productive period. I was getting 2,000 words a day. Wow. And um, just working on the book, really. Uh, it was really fortunate. I was able to focus on that for like two weeks. But, um, you know, basically just trying to... Um, Anne Lamott, in, in a book called Bird by Bird, she, she talks about this kind of like looking through a one inch by one inch picture frame. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where you start in a scene. And I would just try to start with a sentence and visualize the scene and, and what my character is thinking. And sometimes mm-hmm. I would just sit there for like 20 minutes, just thinking about the plot and everything and then start writing. And so I, that's how I got a lot of the, the draft material. And mm-hmm. then and then it got it gets harder after that because you have a lot of draft material and i got to a place where i like felt like i found the end of the book i found where i mm-hmm. wanted to end it and the way i think about i thought about plotting for this book was i had i had one big climax that i was building towards and that i knew where it was and i knew what i want what i wanted to happen mm-hmm. um, and the, and i just had to connect the dots to get there and and i did that through drafting and and then in the rewriting is where you really start to write a book, um, where it starts mm. to look like a book because um, that's where you can take a step back and, um, you know, notice themes or, uh, you know, try and find connections between the characters and their storylines and figure out where you want to put them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, A lot of the advice that I looked up, um, quote unquote advice, writing advice online, you know, how to write a book, (laughs) whatever. They say, if you're writing your first book, you should try to limit your perspective characters. Try and stick with like one or two uh, point of view characters. And I have way more (laughs) than that. Uh, And yeah, it's hard. It's really hard because, uh, you know, when I would sit down to draft, I'd have to choose, you know, which character character's perspective I was going to go into and it was really just kind of what I felt uh and and where yeah. the 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 muse 
kind of led, you know, wherever my thoughts were at the time. And yeah, uh, writing is very, for me, it's, it's very personal and it's, is really connected to what I'm going through in my life and, and what I'm thinking about. And, um, it's also a very mysterious process to me as well. Um, mm-hmm. but it's different for everyone. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And that's actually yeah. something that I liked as I was reading this is the chapters aren't titled based off what happens in the chapter. They're titled based off of who the perspective is, is from in the chapter. Yeah. And I think that's a pretty, it's unique in that most authors choose not to do that. It's not that's from game of Thrones. Actually, George did that. Uh, mm which really makes sense in Game of Thrones because there's a lot of characters and I think it made sense for me. Um, something interesting that I'm actually, I'm actually working on a second edition um, okay. because uh, the, the, the file service that I was using to back up all my files uh, got corrupted Oh no! and I lost my master manuscript oh, my goodness. of book one. So... Over the summer, uh, I went through and I had it on Tapas, and thankfully I could copy and paste from Tapas, but I had to go chapter by chapter. Um, so I took the opportunity to, uh, quote unquote, uh, it, it took me a while to see it as an opportunity. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I don't make any huge changes, but, um, you know, I, I feel like I've learned a lot, particularly as a, in style and mechanics and stuff. Um, so I, you know, make little tweaks, not, not big things. I read it so many times when I was editing it. So I don't, I don't, I don't think it needs too much more, but you know, just little things. And as I go along and I'm doing the audio book, I kind of tweak it. And Mm -hmm. one of the changes that I made is I actually decided to just do chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, because I felt like I could introduce the point of view in the first sentence and it would be fine. And it, it wouldn't mm. really disorient the reader. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's Interesting. it's a style thing. Yeah. Well, it also prevents people from looking ahead to see which characters they should care about. Right. Yeah. Um, because you're not afraid of losing some characters. And actually, that's one of the things that my character I was starting to get connected with, uh, you just, you get rid of them right away. <laughs> and I... I'm so frustrated with you for that. Um, <laughs> Sorry. And this character comes up and ties other characters together. Um, but I know you know who I'm talking about. I'm not going to name this character. Um, I don't think you did right by this character. I I really want to see some type of multiverse ability for this character to come back. <laughs> um, but Sorry. it leads to uh, one of my it leads to my favorite visualized scene in this book, um, which is one of the things that I think makes this book really unique. And I'm going to read it. Um, It's just a paragraph, just over a paragraph in the 12th chapter. Um, And this is the moment, um, this is a character who's who's died. Um, And when this character died, they're part of the Blades of Dawn. Their body is put on a funeral pyre because uh, it's currently night. And yeah. as 
dawn comes as the first lights shoot across the sky that's where we're going to pick up the blades did not speak words to commemorate the beginning of a new day there were no songs or platitudes that attempted to assign meaning dawn was reserved for reflection finally it came one moment the glow of light on the horizon was visible and then next, a single pale ray shot across the expanse to the castle. It caught the spire of the watchtower and cast a shadow on the large semicircular dial in the outer courtyard. An instant later, Kavar heard a soft whoosh as the sunlight bounced off the mirror at the top of the tower and passed through the small glass positioned at the base of the pyre. The fire spread and the form was soon consumed. They listened while their friend burned. Do you have anything to share on that? It's my favorite scene. Yeah. Um, I, I think if I, if I can go out of character and display some self-confidence, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think that, that one of as I've practiced writing and really tried to do it seriously and, and get better at it, I think that one of my strengths is um, imagery. Uh, mm. I think, I think that's one thing that I'm naturally good at. Uh, it takes a lot of, you know, I still have a long way to go uh, and I always will, but um I think that's one thing that I'm naturally uh, inclined to be good at with, with writing. And that was because it's just the, kind of the way I write is I think very visually, like when mm -hmm. I, um, not to say I imagine it as a, as a, um, as a TV scene, uh, because one of the challenges actually in writing is um, because I had watched so much TV, uh, you, it, it, I found that I was visualizing things as, as if they were happening on TV and I felt the need to describe every little movement of the face mm -hmm. or, um, you know, tone of voice, um, because that, those things are very important on television. Uh, but in a book, you can actually get away with a lot describing a lot less of the particular detail, mm -hmm. uh, and, you can do so much, you can go do, go so much deeper and really mess with yeah. the reader's perception. And that's something that I'm, I'm trying to learn how to do. And, and I read a lot of classics and stuff and uh, uh, classic literature. And I, and I love to, you know, try and pick up on what, what some of my favorite writers do. Um, but so when I say I visualize a scene, it's not like a TV scene. I visualize like being in that character's head and I try to put myself directly in that moment. Like what mm. would I be feeling? What would I be um, thinking about? What kind of strange thoughts are running through my mind? Like uh, what particular mm -hmm. details jump out to me as I'm standing there looking at the pyre? Um, mm -hmm. And that was a scene where I just had this, this like image of a character um, on, on a pyre 
and the the light coming and I, and and like the the like the symbolism of the light the first ray of light coming mm-hmm. over the um horizon is just like too it's it's too much for me to resist to to oh, to, totally. to make that happen uh, i think that should be the the honestly the, the cover of this book mm. like that it's it's that visually stunning but sorry please continue yeah uh yeah so like that that's that's where it comes from and i tried to to put it in words and um uh and that's success yeah, thank you thank you uh you don't see all the the failures um <laughs> in the book cut i cut so much so many words um in addition to the the 30,000 initially but i mean that's how the the first scene of this book came to me it was just this this image of uh being a student and this mm-hmm. kind of like assassination it was originally like I thought of it as like an assassination school or something like that. And, yep. uh, just this sparring. And that's the, that's the thing. Um, don't get me talking about, uh, HEMA historical European martial arts, uh, which is one of my pet peeves. We might, we I may have said this before watching uh, a lot of fantasy TV is, um, the fight choreography and, uh, mm. the way that, historical weapons and armor are portrayed on screen and the way that they're used is just i just try not to to think about it anymore when i watch tv because it's too frustrating mm-hmm. to actually take seriously but um like imagining the fight scenes and imagining mm-hmm. exactly how rather than just saying like uh you know they exchanged blows and leaving it there, yeah. I tried to imagine it exactly how the blows would fall, mm-hmm. uh, and try to describe it in a way that's interesting and not um, yeah. tedious. Yeah, uh, I appreciated that. But, that's uh, it. Can definitely. I'm a very visual reader, so I saw a lot mm-hmm. as this was happening. Right as they're going through the swamps and the green man and the. Green Man and, and the uh, the huge you know, the gaping maw that swallowed up one of the people and the yeah. bee like creatures that are terrifying. Yeah, that was just a scary scene. I didn't like reading that. It's no fun. Um, Hunter, I have a kind of coming towards the end of our, our, our conversation for today. Um, on page one hundred and forty-one. Uh, you write a uh, a song that a character sings, and one of the challenges I've had as as a reader over the years is whenever I come to a song in a book, I read it and and I want to hear it sung, but I, yeah. I can't figure it out because <laughs> and I can, I can see the rhyme scheme or all these pieces, um, and I realize and, and I, as I was reading this today actually. Singing, sang a version of it out loud to my son. Mm. Thankfully, he's you know, less than a year old, so uh, he's full of <laughs> smiles instead of like, "Ooh, Dad, that didn't sound good." Um, but I realize I have the unique opportunity in this moment to ask the author uh, how a song goes. Can you sing it for us? 
So this is one of the things that I'm working on for the second edition. Okay. Is making sure that all of the songs are actually songs. Okay. And I'm ashamed to admit that I haven't gotten to this one yet. I have an idea of what it might sound like, but I haven't actually like sat down and sang it. I do have one from book two that I can actually share. It's not a spoiler. Yeah, go for um, it. That I've actually sung. (laughs) Um, Love to hear it. Got to take a sip first. It's like strange. It's so nerve-wracking, but it really shouldn't be because there's actually no one listening but you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really, really excited. I've not heard this before, so I'm very excited. I haven't read book two yet. Um... (sighs) Okay. Far over the horizon there is a shore of light no dark no black to threaten but till i sail it is my right to say with my blade and my life dawn must follow night thanks thank you so much i know yeah. that, that could be a very kind of a like a very vulnerable moment um yeah so Hunter, I wanted to make sure before we finish that I, I shared one of my favorite one-liners in this in this book. Um, it is while a character named Nestor is entering <laughs> Seagrim, and Nestor. it's just kind of he's over. This is not a character that you like. It's not a character <laughs> that has a lot of at least a lot you know going on in at least this this book. Um, you know, or, or at least at this point in this book, let's be, be more clear there. But as this character is walking to the city, he's overhearing things. And so here, here's a, a, a couple paragraphs of, of things he's overhearing. I swear it, I'm a much better juggler when I'm drunk. You ever see a man eat fire before? How about a knife? Cyrus the Great has defeated the spirit of the night once more. Rejoice! And then here's my, my favorite line. There is only one God worth worshiping, and his name is Fish. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. Thank uh, you. <laughs> I, I read it. I reread it. Obviously, I, I made sure to bookmark it. Um, thank you for sharing so much of what led to this book, pieces throughout it, for our listeners who have not read it yet, um, what is your hope uh, for somebody to take away uh, from this discussion, but even more so from from joining the 
uh, the 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 ever growing group of people who've read Dawn Must Follow Night. <laughs> um, I I really hope you enjoy reading it. Um, I think there are a lot of books out there nowadays that uh, how do I say this? They're not respectful of your time. <laughs> mm. um, and I try to be. I worked really hard to cut down a lot of the words. Um, it's not very long for a fantasy book. Um, and I put I put me into it. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's a first book. Uh, I, as time goes on, I see more and more flaws and inconsistencies and things. But all of that said, I think... I think it is worth your time, uh, and I hope that uh, you will become a blade of dawn. That's <laughs> mm. uh, kind of a cheesy thing to say, but I think as I've, you know, I'm writing book two and discovering more of the story. Uh, the blades are really, for me, they're, they're the good ones mm. in this world. Um, you know, they're the people that go unnoticed, that still do the right thing um, when no one is watching. Yeah. Uh, you know, all the people that that went to work, uh at grocery stores and hospitals and uh you know they're not asking for recognition or trying to sell mm-hmm. you something they're just trying to do the right thing so yeah that's awesome <sighs> yeah thank you and and thanks for sharing for sharing with us uh i'm really excited to um discuss book two is that is being worked on Um, (laughs) and thank you for making this podcast happen i i know for our listeners out there you hear both of us talking um hunter after each of our conversations um does all the editing um all the publishing uh, make sure that the the show notes have links to the things that we say the show notes will have links to um (laughs) and has really helped make this this podcast happen and then does the dirty work behind the scenes. And so <laughs> I want to say thank you for that. I have absolutely loved the last, was it, we've been doing this for about four months? Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Three, four months Something um, like that. of doing this podcast with you. Uh, I think we've talked about a lot of really great things. Um, I want to encourage our 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 listeners to check out uh check out an episode or two of something you haven't read and don't think you're interested in um i really think our fool's crow episode is one of our better episodes yeah um i think that's one of the strong ones um i also think our edgar Allan poe episode was pretty good yep um yeah and so 
Uh, I've enjoyed being pushed to read things and watch things and listen to things that aren't on my typical um, list. Uh, yeah. As I hope you have as, as well, Hunter. Yeah. No, thank you for, uh, you know, really being the, the impetus to do this uh, and for being you. Um, just, <laughs> it would, it would be such a shame to, 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 to waste an Eric, uh, when you've got him and, um, and when he's, <laughs> when he's such a good friend and, um, I've, I've enjoyed it so much. Uh, and yeah, I mean, listen, listen to the episodes and like, if you get in partway through and you feel like you really, you, you want to read the thing, uh, Turn our podcast off and go read it because if you like what uh, you see, turn off the TV and do it. Yeah, because I, yeah, I think for me, other than just like having a lot of fun hanging out and talking and and joking and and talking about art and everything mm-hmm. and writing, um, if I had a goal for the podcast, it would be um, to encourage people to to read and listen to mm-hmm. watch. Um, engage with art that's not only good um, but is good for you Um, Mm -hmm. because I think that's what a lot of my favorite stories that have shaped me Mm -hmm. are good for me and it's not about it it's not about things being better we've said that a lot that we're not about rating things Um, it's it's my favorite analogy to talk about art is food Um, because you know it's it's like the difference between, you know, going out to Olive Garden and getting a, you know, spaghetti dinner and uh, having a homemade spaghetti dinner with homemade mm-hmm. sauce and, and good spaghetti and, and um, meatballs and, and, you know, yeah. you just think about your favorite foods and meals. At least for me, it's, you know, it's about the people who make them. Uh, it's about knowing the ingredients in them and just having nourishing mm. a nourishing mm-hmm. meal. And that's, that's my favorite art is, is nourishing yeah. to me. And I, I hope we can encourage people to, to find art and engage with art. That's, mm-hmm. it's nourishing for you too. Uh, yeah. and yeah. Um, and, uh, hopefully in season two, we'll, we'll learn to master the exit. I think, that's one of the things that we got to work on is is the exit because we always <laughs> we're always saluting on the camera when no one can hear us at the end. I thought I thought those worked. It's just always fade off into nothing of us right. just kind of continually <laughs> rambling onwards. Um, <laughs> and with that, we wish all of you a Merry Christmas, a happy 2022. We will uh, talk with you again in the new year. We've got a few things planned that I think are going to be really cool and, and kind of um, stretch us. Uh, mm. We're going to be talking about uh, the first two weeks about a, uh, a story and a storyteller that are outside of what we've talked about so far in this this podcast. Um, and and I hope you'll give us grace in that and, and be challenged and encouraged by that. Um, I know I'm excited and I hope all of you are as well. So, Hunter... Yeah. Uh, I will uh, I wish you a Merry Christmas and yeah. uh, I will see you back in this space in the new year yeah and another full day another full day 
catch you on the dawn side. Oh, 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 oh,